In the beginning, the sun was Eloah. The son of El was both with El, and the son of El was Eloah. Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel, and I am pleased to be joined once again with everyone in the room, but also with Michael and Rob. I'm coming to you this week from Florida, and I'm a little bit out of breath because I literally just got in the door two minutes ago, and I was telling Rob and Michael to start without me because I didn't think I was going to make it uh, on time. And... I'll quickly say before we get going, this has been a a bit of a trying Sabbath. You know, we do Sabbath right. We should be resting and, you know, just uh, getting, you know, resting in Yahusha, getting rid of our cares of our week. And we're traveling this weekend. Now, welcome, Pamela. Shabbat Shalom. If you want to turn off your mic on your ends. Here, I'll go ahead and turn it off for you. Oh, looks like somebody beat me to it. Ah, oh, somebody beat me to it. Someone was a quicker gun. Well, anyways, um, <laughs> so whenever we travel, we we make sure to you know get a, like a hotel or something on on Friday night and then cruise through Sabbath, and which is what we did. We we got a hotel yesterday before sunset, and and I have to say this is okay. So. <laughs> Um, I sent out like a despairing uh, call to all of my administrators last night, just saying that if I don't make it through the night, I love you. And there was this place was like crawling with cockroaches up and down the walls and everywhere. It's just disgusting. And like there's no working toilet. So if we have to use the bathroom, we have to go across the parking lot to the main office. And they don't. (laughs) They don't even have like a coffee pot in here. They just, I don't know how we ended up with this place, but here we are. And today we're like, we got to get out of this place. We were hoping just to, you know, hang in a hotel room for the day and relax. And we had to go out for the day. But anyways, I'm back. I'm here. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. Excited. Hopefully Rob and Michael had a better Sabbath day than I did. And hopefully the rest of you did too. Now we are going through... John chapter 19. We only have this chapter and then two more left, and we are done with John. And this is where it really gets good. I think last week is, you know, it it started really picking up in the final act. So, yeah, this will be really good. Does anyone want to open us with prayer? Father Yahweh, we thank you for all that you give and provide unto us. And Father, we pray that what we read and study tonight that the Ruach may speak and move upon us, that we can understand your words and that wisdom is bestowed upon us. Father, may you bless each and every person listening that what is said is a blessing unto them and it is something that they need to hear. Father, may may this evening be a blessed evening and much be known. We ask this in Yahushua's name. We pray. Amen. Thank you, Rob. And just a reminder to everybody as you guys come in to make sure your microphones are turned off. 
And you you may hear some uh, children in the background of mine tonight because we are in a hotel room and my children are in the same room and it's <laughs> it's it's pretty peaceful in here right now. But you never really know at any given moment. And oh, I, oh thank you, thank you, Rob, for um, for opening us with prayer. I was going to point out one more thing too: is that the uh, the pool here is green. So uh, just give you guys kind of a visual of where we're staying and. It's important to check the hotel reviews a little closer when you guys book them. I don't think I checked it close enough. Anyways, we're going to be opening tonight with John chapter 19, and I believe, Rob, you are opening us up. Yokinen chapter 19. Then Pilate laid hold of Yeshua and flogged him, and the soldiers prepared a crown of thorns and put it on the head of Yeshua and covered him with a red-purple garment. And came unto him and said to him, May El save you, king of the Yahudim? And they gave him blows in the neck. Then Pilate went outside to them again and said, Behold, I bring this man out to you, so that they may know that I do not find any cause in him. When Yeshua went out, wearing the crown of thorns and the red-purple garment, he said to the Yaudim, Behold, the man. So when the Yaudim saw him, the rulers and the attendants shouted, Hang him, hang him. But Pilate said to them, You take him and hang him, for I do not find any cause in him. Then the Yaudim answered him, According to our law, he is guilty of death, because he makes himself the son of Elohah. Or Eloah. So when Pilate heard this word, he was when Pilate heard this word, he had great fear. And he went in again and said to Yeshua, Where are you from? But Yeshua did not answer him. So Pilate said to him, Do you not reply to me? Do you not know that it is in my hand to release you or to hang you up? So Yeshua answered, You would not have any power against me, except it be to you from the heavens, that is, from El. Therefore, he who delivered me into your hands, sin is an extremity, well, let me rephrase that, sin's an extremely great sin. So after this, Pilate wanted to release him, but the Yaudim shouted and said, if you release this man, you will not be a beloved of Caesar. For, uh, for every man who makes himself king speaks against Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Yeshua out and said, <clears throat> sorry, and sat on a seat at the place which is called Gabetta. Then Pilate said to the Yaudim, Behold, your king. But they shouted, lift him up, lift him up, hang him, and put him on warp and woof. So Pilate asked them, must I hang up your king? But the ruler said to him, we have no king except Caesar. So Caesar's authority delivered Yeshua to them that they could hang him up. Then the Yaudim took Yeshua and led him out. And Yeshua, carrying the wharf and woof, 
went out to a place which is called Calvary, which is Golgotha in Hebrew. And in that place, they put Yeshua on a warp and woof, and with him two others, one to the right and one to the left, and Yeshua between the two of them. Now Pilate wrote a saying and put it on the warp and woof, and this was its language. Yeshua of Netzarit, the king of the Yaudim. So many of the Yaudim reading this writing for that place where Yeshua was hanging in the near city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin language. So the rulers of the Yaudim said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Yaudim but that he was saying that he is the king of the Yaudim. Pilate answered, saying, That which is written will be written. Then the soldiers, when they had hanged him up, took the garments and divided them in four parts, for every soldier his part. But the garment which is called Gola, it was without any seam and worn over that which was upon him. Therefore, they said among themselves, Let us not tear it, let us cast lots over it, whose it will be, in order that the scripture could be fulfilled, which says, They divided my clothes among themselves and cast lots before because of my garment. Therefore the soldiers did, did these things. Now the mother of Yeshua and Miriam, the wife of Kelphiah, the sister of the mother of Yeshua, and Miriam Magdalene stood near the war and woof of Yeshua. So when Yeshua saw his mother standing nearby and the Talmudim whom he loved exceedingly, he turned to his mother and said, Woman, behold your son. Afterwards he said to the Talmud, Behold your mother. At the time the Talmud took her, at that time the Talmud, took her as his own mother. And I will stop there, and Michael will follow up afterwards uh, from that point. But uh, we will move it over to Michael for his commentary on these verses. Michael. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thank you. Um, it's such a good John chapter 18 that I hope to continue that uh, great streak tonight. I have some good stuff, and like usual, I will split it up. Um, I'm going to start with some foundation. Um, I'm just going to read number one in Hebrew. And Pilate laid hold of Yeshua and flogged him. And you know, I want to set the tone for this chapter by reading one part of Isaiah 53. So I have Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. So you're going to see in this chapter that you're going to see what he had to go through. Um, for us, and it's truly remarkable. So I wanted to set that tone right there. Um, number two, I'm going to read the Hebrew. And the soldiers prepared a crown of thorns and put it on the head of Yeshua and covered him with a red and purple garment and came unto him and said to him. So uh, I want to focus on the red and purple garment. So some cross-referencing in First Maccabees 8.14. So in spite of all this, no Roman ever tried to advance his own position by wearing a crown or putting on a royal robe. So that's what First Maccabees says. So in my opinion, this was 
one of the many reasons why he was given all this, you know, this this was definitely on a purpose for more than one reason. So um, I also wanted to say that, you know, Yah also commands that the Israelites make the tabernacle curtains veil and screen for the doorway out of four things. Blue and purple cloth, red and purple argamon, scarlet worm, which we talked about last week, a red twine, and fine linen, Exodus 25, 26, 31, 36. And, you know, it's just another foreshadowing of Yeshua. Um, okay, so we just read in John about them placing a red and purple garment. If you actually read in the Matthew version, it says it said they placed a scarlet robe on him, Matthew 27, 27 through 28. In Mark, they dressed him up in a purple robe. Okay, so red, purple, scarlet, and Mark, it says purple. So you're, you're asking me, oh, it's just the same way of saying tomato, tomato. I want to take you to Luke now. So Luke 23, 11, and Herod, together with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, dressing him in a brightly shining robe and sent him back to Pilate. Brightly shining robe. That, To me, that doesn't sound like scarlet or purple um, or blue and purple. So I want to go to the Strong's word for that word. It's 2986, Lampros. It means bright. Um, bright, shining, magnificent, bright, splendid. Some versions say white, like shining white. Um, the same word... That same word is used in Acts 10.30. So let's go over that. Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your charitable gifts have been remembered before Yah. That shining clothing is the same word that's used in the Luke passage, the brightly shining robe. Why is it different than the scarlet, the purple, the red and purple? Um, and look what it's saying, you know, it's, it's, your prayers are answered, it, you know, my theory, basically my theory is that the synoptic gospels are talking to different sets of believers. I kind of hinted at that in my Revelation 3, um, Philadelphia study a few weeks back. So this is just one more thing where it, it if there's a bride of Christ, if there's a bride, it's, it's Luke speaking to that group and cause he, he describes Yeshua wearing a, a shining bright robe instead of the purple and, and scarlet. And then, once you know in Revelation, those going through tribulation, the, the beast had was wearing purple and scarlet. I don't know what that means. I, I have my theories, but I'll let you guys decide. And then one more before I pass it off to Noel. Uh, number three. Let's see. May El save you, king of the Yehudim. And they gave him blows in the neck. Um, so I was reading that Roman soldiers customarily played, in quotes, mock king. So not mocking, but mock king. Game rituals during the Saturnalia Festival. The Roman festival of Saturnalia, commemorating the death and rebirth of nature, was held in December in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture and civilization, and presided over by a mock king. The chance manner of his choosing by throwing dice, drawing a lot, or discovering a fava bean or coin in a piece of cake, related to the mythology surrounding Saturn, whose reign was believed to be so that just there were no slaves or private property. So this is where it comes in with Yeshua. Thus it was decreed during Saturnalia that all should be given equal rights, and indeed a slave could rule. So I was reading some commentary that said this is possibly what they were doing here, mock king, Saturnalia festival. I don't know. Um, I have a lot in John, but I think this will be a good place to hand it off to Noel. Thank you. So I just wanted to uh, 
to confirm there, Michael, so you you see the the mock Saturnalia that they would normally perform in Dece in Decemberish time, but you see that being played out here, correct? Yeah, that's what. Yeah. What so that was. I don't. I don't think anything about that. That was the first I've ever heard that. That was really good. So awesome. that's something I'll be looking into more. So there's there's a few things here, and, and I don't have a lot on this chapter. I I think this is just an amazing chapter, just read by itself. You know, just beautiful. The the language in the Hebrew is is gorgeous. Uh, no complaints. A few little observations here. One is that when I when I went over to Torah pursuance, uh, enter Torah camp. When you do so, all of a sudden you start. Uh, I, I notice these trends where you start conforming to all these you know beliefs. All of a sudden, the the cross is pagan. We got to throw the cross out, right? And I have to say that no, I'm still I'm still. I still think we have the picture wrong of how what what the cross looked like, but I remember I immediately went over to no, he was hung on a tree. He was hung on a tree, people. And there are a few uh, places in Scripture in the New Testament where it says he was hung on a tree. But what really threw me off here was the warp and the woof. I mean, it, it was a little unjarring reading it over and over and over again. You know, the warp and the woof. And and here, by the way, too. The uh, the the temple priests and the Pharisees and such they keep saying hang them up hang them hang them up and I'm trying to see which verse that is well you guys know it was there oh yeah verse um, verse six and again it could be it could be on a tree but it it's it's just interesting to read that the difference between that and crucify him crucify him right and um, and so a warp and a, a wolf I had to kind of look that up and try to to visualize that. And I see that Pamela has already thrown in here the idea of these, these woven fabrics, which I think is where she's getting the, the warp and the wolf from. But it's, it's literally... <laughs> Michael, I'll let you touch. I'll, I'm stealing Michael's uh, thunder and lightning right now. He sent me a very apocalyptic um, uh, visual here. Uh, he's raining down the fire. Yeah, uh, you're lightning. good. I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't have a lot to say on it, but it... it, it I'll let you. I'll let you talk more about it. But it it it, it appears like it is a, a a cross beam, and of course we see that in the um, in other passages. But what's interesting here is that uh, so I I was imagining that he carried his cross beam, and that he they would have like a like a tree stump or something already in place, and that you would drop that cross beam into it. So when he was on his way to Golgotha, he would have carried this. And the other prisoners would as well, the other two, and that they were all on the same post. And and I still think that they probably are. I think that's what's being described, that it's not three separate crosses, but they were like on one crucifixion device. And one of the ways you explain that is when the they went around to break the legs, if you notice the 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 guard, he broke the legs of the person on the left and the right first. And you're like, well, why is that? Why did he go break the left and the right and skip over him? And it, it, a better way to describe it is like a circle. Like he's going in a 360 direction around one crucifixion device. But however, here, it, 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 I'm thrown into a little bit of confusion because it says he carried the warp and the wolf. Not just the warp, not just the wolf, but the warp and the wolf. And so I'm kind of curious what everybody thinks about that. Another thing I saw here is... 
I, I do, you know, we, we, we see that the next day was a Sabbath day. So it would have been the, the, the high Sabbath of unleavened bread. However, I noticed that there's a lot less played in here on the, of Yohanan talking about Passover, that the day was Passover. Like we see it actually gutted out in verse 14, where he does not say, and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. Like it doesn't say that. It, it cut it out. And the reason I bring up this observation is because one of the things that is debated is whether or not Yahushua really was he really crucified on the actual Passover day. Now we're not talking about we're talking about the endless calendar debate within Camp Torah, where every you know there's like a hundred different calendars. I, I'm over you know emphasizing that, but there's everyone has their calendar and they're all on the specific day, and they say everybody else is wrong, and. And it perhaps it's projecting onto the story that's saying, well, see, they all had it wrong too. But it is something that I do look for. Was was Yochanan like did he and Yahusha already celebrate Passover? And so there's not as much of an emphasis on it on here. Like they thought it was Passover. Hopefully everyone's following me. That's something to consider in here as well. One thing that another thing that I really like on here is where Pontius Pilate uh, he throws out the question, what is truth? Now, in a lot of ways, that's a very tragic statement because we I've seen this before, like in the truther movement where people come to conspiracies, they come to truth because of their love of Yahushua. They would call him Jesus at that time, but they, they come to the truth because of their love for the son of the most high. And then after looking at all these different, you know, conspiracies and ideas and historical arguments, they walk away and they say, well, what is truth? Like, there is no truth, right? It's, it's a very despairing thing. It's, it, I was a philosophy major in college, and I always have to remind people I did not graduate from college. Um, but I was a philosophy major, and it was the same thing as I, would, I took probably five or six philosophy classes, and I loved them, but it, you would always walk away you know, the, the professor and everyone would walk away. And the whole point of it is to say, well, what is truth, right? It's, it's a very despairing thing. But I want to throw out, because this last Thursday, I read from a letter uh, that is purported to be an actual description of Yahusha. And what's really interesting is that he, uh, his name is like Longitus, whatever, I, I'm going to mispronounce it right now. He actually referred to Yahusha as, he said, the Hebrews, the locals, they called him the prophet of truth. And I think that's really interesting here because we see Pontius, I think that there's, um, there's legitimacy to that. I think that he was known as the prophet of truth. It's a very Qumran type of statement to say uh, when you look at those documents. And because you're seeing Pontius Pilate here, you know, it's called him the king of the Jews and, you know, all these different things. He's giving him these very messianic listings. And, and so it's almost like he's directing it back to him because he's trying to get information out of him that Yahushua is not giving to him. And he's like, you know, don't you understand, man, that I, could, I can let you off? And he's like, well, you know, um, you can't do anything except for, for what comes to heaven. I've been handed over into your, you know, your care. And he throws up, like, what is truth? I think it's almost he's, he's directing it back to the prophet of truth title. And I can't prove that. I just want to throw that out there that um, I think that that was just directed at him specifically again. And then I think that's all I want to cover right now. I'm going to hand it back over to you, Rob. 
Right. I will. I'm going to cover the first four vor- first four verses. Uh, I, <clears throat> one thing I want to point out on verse one is it says here, Pilate laid hold of Yeshua and flogged him. And as we read through the through through this chapter, we see that Yeshua is being dishonored among men. I mean, it's just just I mean, you read through this, what they're doing to him, what they're saying to him, and you see Yeshua answering. If this was, you know, if the power was uh, uh, against me, uh, against him, that uh, Yeshua, you know, heaven would come down basically and and take care of this. So uh, he is he's humbled himself and he's being just totally dishonored. And we re- read in Psalms, I'm going to read from Psalms and Isaiah regarding this. Psalms 129, 1 through 3. Many times they waged war. This is, uh, you know, we're ta- looking at uh, uh, speaking here. I think, this, I think this one was David speaking uh, on this part. Many times they waged war against me from youth. Let's, let's say, indeed, Israel. So he's saying... Confirming Israel, you know, this is him speaking to Israel and confirming that. So David speaking, many times they waged war against me from my youth. Many times they waged war against me from my youth, and yet they were not able to to prevail against me. And so when you're looking at that from, from Psalms and relating this to Yeshua, we know that they, war, they warred against him from his youth. We recall Herod. You know, putting all the the boys of two years age and younger to death at that time, so they were, you know, they were waging war from his youth uh, of Yeshua. And then verse three: Upon my back contrived the sinners; they prolonged their lawlessness. So he's given a hint here that on his back he's going to be bearing those sins. You know, as we as we will read and. Because they prolonged their lawlessness, so I wanted to tie that in on this this verse here with the flogging, and and then on Isaiah fifty three 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 through five, he was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with anxiety, and like one from whom people hid their faces. You know, they hid from him because they were shamed. Uh, he was despised, and we and we have no regard for him. However, it was our anxiety that he himself bore, and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by Yah, and humiliated, but. He was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So I'm tying that in with the flogging here, of what was going on, and the dishonoring that we read that was being done upon Yeshua. So in verse 3, may El save you, king of the Yaudim, and they gave him blows in the neck. Uh, a similar statement that David makes 
in Psalms 69, 7 through 9. Because for your sake I have endured disgrace, dishonor has covered my face, I have become estranged from my brothers and a stranger to my mother's sons, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the taunts of those who taunt you have fallen on me. Very similar prophetic statement here in Psalms by David that fits right on on Yeshua, what is happening to him, you know, uh, of the disgrace, the dishonor, being estranged from his brothers, and, and Yeshua's zeal for the house of his father. Verse 4, Pilate went outside to them again and said, Behold, I bring this man unto you, so that, you, that they may know that I do not find any cause in him. We see here that the non-Yahudim see no fault in him. Pilate didn't find any fault in him. But the, but the religious people do. Think about that. You know, the, the, the judgment being, being played out here by the non-Yahudim, they see nothing wrong with them, but the, obviously the religious, they, they do. First um, Peter 1, 1, 19, But by the esteemed blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless of Messiah, so that is who he is, and walking that out. So I will pass back over to Michael, and those are my first few verses that I wanted to share. Michael? All right, good stuff. Rob, um, I'm going to continue on number seven. I'm going to read the Hebrew. It says, uh, And the Yehudim answered him, According to our law, he is guilty of death, because he makes himself the son of Aloha. Which law is that? Um, is it possible? It's Leviticus 24.16. So, Moreover, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The stranger as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. If you recall last week, I made a distinction between how the Yahudim wanted to stone him, and you know the crucifixion is the Roman way of punishment, and he had to do both, or he had to he had to be crucified. But uh, this is just this is what they wanted him to do, is because they thought he broke this law. Um, number nine, I'm going to read the Hebrew again, and it says, "And he went in again and said to Yeshua, Where are you from?'" But Yeshua did not answer him. This this chapter is all about fulfilled prophecies. In Isaiah 53, we've already talked about it, but I want to read Isaiah 53, 7, and I think Rob mentioned it, but he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before it shears. So he did not open his mouth, and that's what Yeshua did. He just kept his silence. Um, and I think Nolan kind of mentioned this, uh, 14. So, and it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said unto saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. All that is missing in the Hebrew, the preparation of the Passover and the sixth hour is missing from the Hebrew. Hebrew just says, Then Pilate said to the Yehunim, Behold your king. So I was initially shocked to see that there was no preparation day or Passover in the Hebrew, but it is mentioned later in John, and we'll get to that. So it kind of redeemed it a little bit. Um, I will. I have one more, and then I'll pass it over to Noel. I still have a few more at the end, but uh, we're splitting this up for conversational purposes. Number 15. Um, I will read both. So, But they cried, away from him, away from him, crucify him. 
Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. And in the Hebrew. But they shouted, Lift him up, lift him up, hang him up, and put him on the warp and woof. So Pilate asked them, Must I hang up your king? But the rulers said to them, We have no king except Caesar. Now I'm not going to... I have you know stuff on the... Actually, this might be it. Yes, this is it. Okay, so... I'm not going to go crazy into detail, and Noel definitely didn't steal my thunder, but uh, Roman law mandated a two-day delay between trial and execution. So this is showing that this was one of many laws broken in the trial of the Savior, uh, that this was pretty much instant. Um, And I wanted to focus on that the cross is the warp and the whip. And Noel and Pamela, you know, know, talked about it a little bit. And so I did a word search, and, you know, it appears that it has nothing to do with the cross. So I, I'm very intrigued on what Ronit will say on the Hebrew. Maybe it's something similar to the worm and the worm wood, and they didn't have a word for it. But Leviticus 13, 50, 56. Um, but if the priest looks, and indeed the mark of leprosy has faded after it has been washed, then he shall tear it out of the garment or out of the leather, whether from the warp or from the woof. Yet if it appears again in the garment, whether in the warp or in the woof, or in any article of leather, it is an outbreak. The article with the mark shall be burned in the fire. But the garment, whether the warp or the wolf, or any article of leather from which the mark has disappeared when you washed it, shall then be washed a second time and will be clean. This is the law of the mark of leprosy in garment of wool or linen, whether in the warp or in the woof, or in any article of leather for pronouncing it clean or unclean. Again, I, I will be... Very intrigued if Rona has something to say on that. I have three more things, but they're at the end of this part, and I'll pass it over to Noel. So in terms of his crucifixion, now that's really interesting. I'd never heard that before, Michael, that there was a two-day sentence between, or, or two day, uh, two days before the sentencing and the death being carried out, the death sentence being carried out. And, and you're absolutely right. Like This trial from beginning to end, we see law after law after law being broken. Now, what's interesting here, as you've already mentioned, is that Pilate sees nothing wrong with this guy. And this this lines up exactly what we see with the Gospel of Nicodemus and others. And when when the when they're yelling um hang him hang him up, hang him up, it reminds me of Deuteronomy chapter twenty one, verse twenty two. So let me put this into Bible bot here and see what it says. And it says, and when a man has committed a sin worthy of death, so the the Pharisees, the, the temple controllers, the priests, they're saying he has committed a sin worthy of death. And I I agree, Michael, that it, the only thing I could probably really find is the blasphemy part, right? They're accusing him of blasphemy. It's It says, then he shall be put to death, and you shall hang him on a tree. Okay, so that's, well, let me finish this here. I should have done Deuteronomy. Hmm. 21, let's try 21, 23. And then it's, okay, so it it seems like this is what they're referring to. Let let me read this again. And when a man has committed a sin worthy of death, which they've they've accused him of, then he shall be put to death and you shall hang him on a tree. All right? So this is the, whatever, whatever the warp and the wolf is, this is, this is what it is. And it says, let his body not remain overnight on the tree, for you shall certainly bury him the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of Elohim, so that you do not defile the land which 
your Elohim, Yahuwah, your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance. And this is another violation we see where they're not even interested in taking him off the tree. Like the very people who are, are demanding that he be put to death, they don't take him down by nightfall. And we have to, we see uh, later on in this chapter, we'll get into that the next part. Nicodemus comes along and, and uh, Yosef of Arimathea, they come along and take him down. But so that's just another where, where we see like, like the high priest, you know, where he rips his robe. Like, like that's in total defilement of his position. And you see that the total lack of, of, of love for, you know, the most high or, or being set apart amongst these people as they do this. But there's a couple more quick little observations I wanted to make before we move on to the second part or as Rob and Michael finish their commentary. One is that we see in verse 25. Now, I've never noticed this before, and it's the same in the Greek and the Hebrew, but we see in the... Let me read the, the Greek first, because it actually it almost seems a little bit clearer. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, or Yeshua, his mother. So we know his mother's name is Miriam. And then it says, and his mother's sister, Miriam, Mary, Miriam, the wife of Cleophas, and Miriam Magdalene. So there's three Marys standing here. Miriam, 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 Miriam. One is uh, Magdalena. The other is his mother. But did you guys notice something that his aunt, so his, his mother's sister was also called Miriam. Like, when was the last time that parents have ever named two of their siblings the same name, Miriam? And as far as I'm concerned, this actually attests to the books that, if you guys were in our studies, that we read on the, the infancy gospel of Yaakov, as well as the infancy gospel of Thomas, really mostly the infancy gospel of Yaakov, and I still have never read the infancy gospel of Matthew in this group. But it attests to the fact that uh, Anna, who was Miriam's mother, was unable to have a child. And finally, when she had a child, Miriam, she dedicated her to the temple. So they lost that child. She was like two years old when she walked into the temple. And they didn't have a child anymore, technically. And so it's just interesting that they apparently had another daughter. They might have had other sons and daughters, too. But the next daughter that comes along, they... <laughs> They name her the same name again, Miriam. I just found that really fascinating. Um, and then in verse 27, we see the, the Talmudim, the Talmud that whom Yahusha loves, is there next to the three Marys. And Yahusha looks down from his warp and wolf, and he says to this Talmudim whom he loves, which is we know as Yochan, and he says, this is your mother, and, you know, and, and he is your son, right? And I, I, I was thinking about that a lot this week, that it's interesting that, like, why did no other disciple get that, get that job of taking care of his mother? And I think it was, you know, we, we always say, well, he was the disciple whom he loved. But really, I think it was just because John showed up. Like, he's the only guy who is there. All the others have fled and they're hiding for their lives. And he's the only one, if, if it was like Kepha or Thomas or, you know, Nathaniel slash Bartholomew or, you know, any of these other guys, he could have looked to them and say, hey, this is your mother now. And um, so I found that really interesting that, you know, when we just just at the very act of, of just showing up and being there, um, he was given that that task of, of looking after her. So 
with that, I'm going to hand it back to Rob. Oh, that was good. I, I, I too, I, I believe that there's two Marys and Mary's sisters, so to speak, is because of uh, what you were referencing, that Mary was, the first Mary was dedicated to the temple so that when Anna had another child, she named her Mary and raised her uh, full-time, obviously. Uh, it, whether it was because she favored that name, I don't know, but uh, she knew that was a blessing, and so that's probably why she named the other one Mary also. That, that would be my best guess, too. I am going to go through uh, verses until, I don't know, I think of like verse 17 or something like that. Um, I'm going to follow up on what Michael read on verse 7. I'm just going to add one thing to it. When, uh, and, and both Noel and Michael commented on this, where uh, the, the blasphemy, and in the Masoretic, it says, and he who blasphemes the name of Yahuwah, shall certainly be put to death. Well, if you read the Septuagint, it, 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 it's different. It, it, it's slightly different. It's not, and he who blasphemes the name, it's, it says, and the one naming the name of Yahuwah shall certainly be put to death. So that's interesting uh, difference on that. Um, so what does blaspheme mean in that sense? And what does the one naming the name mean in that context of the Septuagint? I, I, I am not familiar with that idiom, so I have no further commentary, but I did find that different in the Septuagint, so I know there's something more to it. Uh, verse 8, Pilate heard the word. So when Pilate heard this word, he had great fear. So we see Pilate not wanting to push this forward, this sentence onto Yeshua, because as, as I just mentioned, we mentioned that they were there, he found no fault in him. And after Yeshua talking about uh, answer, Yeshua answering him, according to our law, he is uh, the Yahudim answer, according to our law, he said he's the son of Eloah. And I think that puts some fear in Pilate to, that if this claim is, this re religious claim is true, then uh, he probably shouldn't mess with this religious man. I, I, I would presume that is what he was thinking. Then in verse 11, uh, Yeshua answered, You would not have any power against me except to be given to you from heaven. That is from El. Therefore, he who delivered me into your hands sins an extremely great sin. Uh, Pilate starts to make plans to release him. But we see that uh, in, in the next verse, He's caught in a political move by the Yahudim. I mean, they, they straight up tell him, uh, if you release this man, you will not be beloved of Caesar. And we see this all the time in politics. They, they, they know they need to do the right thing, but because of the scenario and situation, they, their hands are tied, so to speak, and uh, they won't do what is right. Uh, verse 14, Then Pilate said to, to the Yahudim, Behold your king. So we see Pilate's hand <clears throat> uh, is forced. So he intentionally mocks the Yahudim with why they brought Yeshua to him, declaring Yeshua the king of the Yahudim and parading Yeshua around. Uh, as we read, he's going from places, different places in the other Gospels. You'll see that. So the Yahudim make their declaration of their king 
as Caesar, a ruler of men. Uh, so we see that just for them to make this, this in their in their mind, this man to to get rid of him and to crucify him, they actually claim Caesar as their king, which is a huge mistake. But uh, it's just sad to see all these things take place. Uh, Sixteen. So Caesar's authority delivered Yeshua to them, and they could so that they could hang him up. And Yeshua took then you then the Yahudim Yahudim took Yeshua and led him out. We see. Caesar's authority, which is Roman authority, delivering Yeshua to the Yaudim, who subject themselves under Rome. So we see everything being controlled by Rome and the Yaudim subject underneath them. Uh, and they put themselves there, or let themselves uh, stay there. Uh, 18. And in the place they put Yeshua on wharf and woof. And with him, two others, one to the right, one to the left, and Yeshua between the two of them. Uh, I wanted to put some other verses that tie into this. Psalms twenty-two, sixteen: For the dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. So we see that being spoken about in Psalms, referring uh, to this event here. Once again, Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. He's got one on each side of him. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. And then we will read in Zechariah uh, chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 10. The, the pronouncement of the word of Yahuwah concerning Israel. So that's what this, this chapter is talking to, Israel. And in verse 10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of pleading. So they will look at me whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him, like one mourning for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. So this crucifixion that's taking place, he's being pierced. And this spirit of grace and pleading is coming upon the house of Israel. That's who Yeshua stated he came for. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's, that's who he's dying for here. And that's why he, the disciples, and we are proclaiming his words for the sheep to hear them so that they may also come, the lost sheep, into the house of Israel and walk with, ever, with new life. And I will stop at... Verse 20, and I got more after that. Uh, so many of the Yaudim read this writing for that, for that place where Yeshua was hanged in near the, is near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin language. Okay, so Yeshua of Netzarit, the king of the Yaudim, written in common languages to declare. So when Pilate made his proclamation, when he prays Yeshua around, 
put, dresses him up as a king, they put a crown on him, and they even put up a declaration above his head um, in crucifixion to make a, a, a government authoritative declaration that he is king. So he le legitimizes the king of the Yaudim uh, to all, and he writes it in three languages there. So I just want to emphasize that, that he was, he was declared by authority, even though it was done this, you know, in this manner, but it was still a declaration that is, is, uh, uh, is and should be recognized. I'll pass it over to Michael, and I'll, I'll, I can follow up with a little bit more for the rest. But, uh, Michael, over to you. <clears throat> yeah, I just have three quick ones, and I'll pass it over right back to you, unless Noah has something. Um, number 17, wanted to read both. Um, an issue of carrying the warp and the wolf went out to a place which is called Calvary, which is Golgotha in Hebrew. Um... I just, I don't, I'm not sure this is 100%, but uh, I wanted to point out that Yeshua is carrying it by himself, where in the synoptics, Simon of, of Cyrene is doing it as well. And John's the only one who, who highlights that part. Um, number 24, I'm going to read the Hebrew. Therefore they said among themselves, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots over it, whose it will be, in order that scripture could be fulfilled which says, they divided my clothes among themselves and cast lots because of my garment. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. And this is just another prophecy. And what he's fulfilling is Psalm 22, 18. They divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. And then finally, on this first part, um, number 25. Now the mother of Yeshua and Miriam, the wife of Chalfa, the sister of the mother of Yeshua and Miriam Magdalene, stood near the warp and the wolf of Yeshua. Um, this is another difference of John compared to the synoptics. Um, in this instance, the women are near the cross. And, but in the synoptics, they're watching from afar. Again, I don't know what this means, but I just want to point out there's the slight differences in between these accounts. That's all I have. So, Rob, take it away, and then I can read. Or no, I'm sorry, no, no first, I guess, and then I can read. No, I don't have anything else to add. I think we should just... Uh... Whatever Rob has to add, I think we should just and then move on. Just got one. Michael covered uh, what I was going to do, but uh, on verse twenty-seven, where we see Yeshua speaking to the the Talmud uh, that he loved, and we all see that as Yochanan uh, to be the son of Yeshua's mother, uh, and for his mother to be uh, over Yochanan, and we see that she is a widow, and now. Now Yeshua is more or less uh, putting John in the responsible role of taking care of the widow, which is going to be, uh, uh, which is his mother, which now he is going to die and no longer be able to take care of, quote, the widow, his mother. So I see that as something important to emphasize, uh, widows to be taken care of, and we see Yeshua doing that and making that claim before his death. So that is that is declared and took, taken care of. So uh, that was the last thing I wanted to point out. With that, I am done for uh, verses through 27. All right. I will finish yoking it off, starting with verse 28. <clears throat> and after this, Yeshua, so that everything to be finalized, in order that the scripture should be fulfilled, said, I have thirst. 
as there was a jar filled with vinegar there. They, when they heard this, took a reed and placed it on a sponge full of vinegar with salt, and placed it at the mouth of Yeshua. So when Yeshua had tasted the vinegar, he said, It is completed and ended. And he bowed his head and sent his ruach to his father. Now the evening would be Shabbat, and thus the Yehudim, in order that the body should not remain on warp and woof on the Shabbat, for that Shabbat would be a great feast, entreated Pilate that he should give them permission, that they could cut off the thighs of those who were hanged up, and that they could take them down. So the soldiers came and cut off the thighs of those who were hanged up with Yeshua. But one of the soldiers took a lance in his hand and thrust Yeshua and opened his side for him. And those who saw it do witness of this. Also, he, he who knows that he speaks the truth, in order that you may believe in him. For when all these things were done, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, You must not break a bone in it. And again, another scripture says, And they will look unto me, whom they have pierced. After these things, Yosef of Ramatayim, who stayed hidden for fear of the Yahudim, because he was the Talmud of, Talmud of Yeshua, requested of Pilate that he could have permission to take Yeshua from the warp and wolf. And Pilate consented to him. Then Yosef came with Nick Demon to Yeshua in the night, bringing a blend of myrrh, about a hundred pounds. So they took the body of Yeshua and bound it up in linen sheets, and anointed the body with good and valuable ointments, as the custom of the Yehudim is to bomb. And at that place where he had been hanged up, there was a garden, and there was a new grave in that garden, and no man had placed had been placed in that grave. So because of the preparation of the Yehudim, and because he was near that grave, they had placed Yeshua there. I will hand it off to Noel for commentary. I don't have a lot on this section. In fact, I'm looking forward to turning this over to the roundtable tonight to discuss some of the stuff like the warp and the wolf. But one thing I will add in here is that another phrase that was a I found a little unjarring when I was studying this was the idea of cutting his thighs. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because the Greek says talks about breaking their legs, but this is cutting their thighs. And then we see the passage where the guard goes and in a way, he cuts his thighs. He he puts a spear up there, and the the, the water comes out. But I, I still think it's it seems contextually to be the same thing as we read in the Greek. It's almost I, I I'd be curious to hear what you guys have to say on this because it seems like it's still breaking the legs because in the Hebrew, even though they cut out, so verse thirty three in the Greek reads this. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. That's cut out from the Hebrew. And so, again, the Hebrew doesn't talk about breaking his legs. It talks about cutting off his thighs. But then we see the same thing where Yochanan uh, rehearses the, the prophecy that says, for when all these things were done, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, you must not break a bone in it. So I'm still under the impression that whatever cutting thighs is, is that it's, it involves breaking bones. That's all I have to say on that, handing it over to Rob, and then... You guys get your commentary out, and then we will uh, roundtable this. All right, I'll break this up into two sections myself. Um, I'll follow up with what you just mentioned, Noel, on the cutting of the thighs. My, my interpretation of this uh, is that uh, whether it was strictly a broken break, breaking the bones, or if the cut off the thighs meant they take a spear or sword and jam it into their thighs... So that even, you know, obviously, you know, they're, they're so weak hanging up there that cut jamming it right in their thighs is just going to just uh, destroy the muscle tissue there for them to hold themselves up. Uh, so that is a possible, uh, my thought of a possibility of what that interpretation means, because instead of when they go 
because when they go to Yeshua, they don't do that to his thighs. They just lance him right into the side. But we we do read before this that it says he 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 gave up his ruach to the father. So I have to presume that the soldiers had witnessed this event. Uh, and if you look at the other other gospels, it mentions mentions him saying that, and there was a soldier there, etc. So that they they probably just lanced him in the side, not not needing to do anything to his legs. Uh, that that's that's what my opinion is on that. And I'll start with verse twenty seven. Uh, afterwards, he said to Talmudim, "Behold, your mother." And at the time, the Talmudim uh, took his mother. And uh, oh, I'm sorry, I already read that one. No, I apologize. Uh, Twenty eight. Uh, and 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 after this, Yeshua, Yeshua, so that everything to be finalized. So when it when he talks about this this finalization or to, for everything to be, and he's referring to the finalization for things to be for everything to be finalized as what was written in the the Torah, the prophets. So this is the this is what it is meaning by them making this statement. Um, on twenty nine. As there was a jar filled with vinegar there, they, when they heard this, took a reed, placed it in a sponge of vinegar with salt, and placed it as mouth at, at the mouth of Yeshua. This is talking about Psalm 69, 19 through 21. You know my disgrace, my shame, and my dishonor. Once again, all my enemies are known to you. Disgrace has broken my heart, and I am so sick. And I waited for sympathy but there was none and for comforters but i found none they also gave me a bitter herb in my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink so we see this playing out right here on that verse what's being done the disgrace the shame um his heart being broken it's it's just sad uh 34 but one of the soldiers took a lance at his hand and thrust it into his side. And so, uh, since they reckoned, and this goes back to what I was saying, since they recognized his spirit had left him, uh, uh, they still pierced him to make sure he was dead. So they, they still had to do, quote, their job and make sure that the, 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 the accused were, their sentence was fully taken out. So they made sure he was dead. So that's why I see what they had to do that in Pearson also to confirm, make confirmation. Uh, verse 36, uh, I wanted, wanted to state that in, in, in that one where it talks about the, uh, the scripture being fulfilled, which says, you must not break a bone in it. Well, that's referencing in Numbers 9, 12 uh, on the Passover lamb and so forth. It says, Thou shalt not leave any of it until morning, you know, the, the lamb of, uh, that's being burnt up, uh, that was eaten, nor break a bone of it. They shall celebrate it in accordance with the whole statute of the Passover. So once again, this whole idea of a Passover lamb and fulfilling what that symbolized and meant uh, back in Numbers. So I'll, I'll finish up the rest of this verse on the next go-around. I'll pass it over to Michael for his commentary. Um, do you want to finish now? There's none left. I have a little bit, and then we can roundtable it. If you want me to, that, that is fine. All right, uh, I'll go to 37. And again, another scripture says, And they will look unto me whom they have pierced. 
Uh, we see that in, in Psalms 22, 17. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. Okay, and we also read in Zechariah 12.10, they will look on me whom they pierced. And then once again, Revelation 1.7, Behold, he is coming with, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So we, we talked about that. This is all referencing back to Yeshua here. Um, 38, we're talking about uh, Joseph who stayed hidden for fear of the Yahudim, requests Pilate to get permission to get Yeshua from the, uh, from the cross, and, and Pilate consented to him. So this, re this request is being made uh, by Joseph, and it is granted. And then in 39, we see that Joseph came with Nicodemus. Okay, so we know Nicodemus, or Nicodemus, is one of the Pharisees that was teaching in the past, and we, we've already read about him. And I, and obviously, he is acting here in defiance to what the what the uh, Yaudim would not do, and that is to do something on the Shabbat. So he's literally. It says nighttime in the night. They went and got the body, and they they. Uh, blended, it says here, they're bringing a blend of myrrh, they wrapped his body in linen and buried him and so forth. So we, this is a testament to, to Nicodemus that he is doing something um, that he normally would not have done if he was, quote, still religious. So we see, in my opinion, a testimony to him that is... Uh, uh, seeing the bigger picture, so to speak, and uh, I wish there was more written about him on what took place after this event with him and his life, and what happened when in with the Pharisees and how that all played out. But uh, uh, I would love to have read that. And uh, so, so forty-one, almost done here. This is my last one. And at the place where he had been hanged up, there was a garden. And there was a new grave in that garden, and no man had been placed in that grave. Okay, the majority of Christianity, we always get this picture of the grave or the cave of Yeshua, right? You see this kind of cave with a stone rolled away. You look inside and you see one, you know, little uh, stone where the body was laid, and that's it. But if you read this and look at this, this is this is describing. Uh, a grave in the ground, and it was because of the timing. They had to get the body off the cross. They had to get it buried. They had to get oh, do all this quickly. So they they had this new grave that was dug up and ready and ready, and uh, it was in the garden, which was nearby where the where Yeshua was crucified, and so they they placed his body in that nearby grave in the garden. And they put a, the, the stone, they placed that stone upon that grave. And we read the similar uh, description on Lazarus uh, or Eliezer in uh, chapter 11, verse 38, uh, Eliezer's grave. It was dug out, it was a dugout grave, and a great stone was placed on it. And this is very similar to what th this scenario looks like. So that, when you read this and think about that, it, 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 
most of us had that picture of you know him being buried in a cave in that aspect, but it's it's a grave in the ground with a stone, you know, tombstone, whatever you want to lay on top of that to 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 close up the ground. But that's that's what he was laid in um, on it. So that one's it for my commentary. Over to you, Michael. Alrighty, I'll give mine and then we'll roundtable it. Um, let's start on number twenty-nine. Uh, I'm gonna read both. So now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it into his mouth. And in the, the Hebrew, and there was a jar filled with vinegar there. And when he heard this, they took a reed and placed it on a sponge full of vinegar with salt and placed it on the mouth of Yeshua. Again, just want to highlight the fact that, you know, there's no hyssop in the Hebrew. Um, is it, there, it appears they're continuing the fact of not being the Passover lamb. And if you missed episode one, it was removed from the Hebrew in John. Um, because in Exodus 12, 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. And none of, none of you shall go outside to the door of his house until morning. Again, it's just for whatever reason, it's, it's masking that in the Hebrew and keeping it in the Greek. Um, 30. Uh, let's see which one is the one I want to read. Both. So, when Jesus therefore had received vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And in the Hebrew, so when Yeshua had tasted the vinegar, he said, It is completed and ended. And he bowed his head and sent his ruach to his father. Um, obviously, there's the difference between it is finished, it is completed, and ended. I just want to focus on the it is finished part that uh, read some commentary that. It has been. It is finished. Has been found in the papyri or the papyrus being placed on receipts for taxes, meaning paid in full. And you know, you, you know, you hear it all the time that he paid our price. You know, back then they they would say it is finished in order to mean your your bill is paid in full. Um, just a few more. Number thirty-one. So before I said, you know, they took away the preparation day, but here they they keep it. So. Um, 31 in Greek, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation. And in the Hebrew, now the evening would be Shabbat, and thus the Yehudim, in order. So it's just highlighting that this was a preparation uh, day. Um, let's see, number 36, I want to read both. For these things were done, that the scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And in the Hebrew, for when all these things were done, the scripture was fulfilled, which which says you must not break a bone in it. So I know no one over it. That was very interesting. I didn't even catch it. Catch that. I just want to read the cross-reference again. Exodus 12, 46. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring any of the meat outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. Um, so again, this is interesting. So the Hebrew still keeps the symbology of the Passover lamb without saying it. You know, this is... If I'm reading correctly, they're, they're kind of insinuating the Passover lamb without saying it. But if Noel is correct, then again, that's just another notch on them taking away the Passover lamb part. And finally, Rob already read the verses, but I just want to talk about 37, about those who have pierced. He read the Zechariah 12 and the Revelation 1. And again, you know, I mentioned it in Revelation 1 when we did that, confidential counsels. Is it is it those people who literally pierced them within that generation, or was it 2,000 years later? Spiritually speaking, I'll leave you guys to decide. All right, if nope, I'm done. Um, I guess we can roundtable it. Uh, before we open it up, let me let me get some of these questions out that were in the chat. So Bob mentioned Luke nine twenty three. 
Maybe we can talk about that. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So we were talking about the cross earlier. Does that change anything, this passage? What do you guys think about that? Well, just to point out, too, is that Luke is the one gospel that has yet to be translated into Hebrew. Uh, I, I'm assuming they haven't finished it yet. They do have it in their care. And I would be interested. <laughs> Maybe he says, uh, take up your uh, warp and your wolf in, uh, in Luke chapter 9. Who knows? If Rob, if you or nobody else says anything, I can go on to Desmond's question, but... Go ahead, Rob. No, I don't. I'm still trying to look at the verse up. Sorry. Um, I can read Desmond's question real quick. I thought this was a good one. Um, he quotes the KGV. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And then he's saying in the Hebrew, So Yeshua answered, You would not have any power against me, except it be given to you from heaven. That is from hell. Therefore, he who delivered me into your hand sins an extremely great sin. So he's saying, he's, his question is, does the lack of the idea of a greater sin mean that in Hebrew, Caesar was only doing what God gave him the power to do, and so it wasn't sin for him? What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I said that because when it says he hath the greater sin, that implies that the other one also has sin. But in the Hebrew... It doesn't differentiate it like that. There's no implication that there's more than one sin. It just said that the person who delivered me into your hands sins extremely great. Yeah, I, if I'm understanding the question correctly, that's a moral question that I have long pondered and wondered, and I don't have a solution to. What I, what I can say is that I am now convicted or convinced that Pontius Pilate immediate, almost immediately what we would call converted, that within, within the next few days, I mean, that he became a full-on convert to the cause of Messiah, and, uh, he, was cru and he also was either crucified or martyred, um, sentenced and tried and killed for it. I am convinced of that. So that I, I bring that up because that kind of, I don't know if that changes it or not, uh, but it, it gives an insight into Pontius Pilate truly saying that this guy is like completely innocent and I wash my hands of this, this whole affair. Like this is just, this is a circus. And uh, I mean, the, the very fact that, you know, Pontius Pilate, uh, as Michael brought up, the very fact that he didn't wait another two days, but he, I mean, he could have done that. He could have been like, okay, we tried him. He's guilty. Uh, I'm going to hold off two more days to crucify him despite their calls like he he could have upheld roman law and he didn't he like he washed his hands like i'm done with this I, I don't want anything to do with this anymore i've actually been in instances where i've seen people wash their hands of something and saying i'm out of here i'm i'm done i'm walking away from this and i almost feel like that's kind of almost what he did here to the point some people have um you know some people and i haven't done a, a deep dive on this but i've i've seen people claim that the romans didn't even I, didn't crucify him. I, I, I find that hard to believe, and I, but I, I'm speaking out of ignorance here. Um, I haven't done a deep dive on this, but I've 
seen people make the claim that the Romans actually didn't crucify him, that, you know, it was the, the Yahudim who did. So, um, all I have to say is, is I can't, that's a, if I'm understanding the question right, that's a moral question that I can't necessarily answer. Yeah, I, I would say that, in my opinion, to add, is that he's stating, therefore, he who delivered me into your hand. So, you can take that as the Yahudim, and if we want to, uh, I mean, that's how I would take that statement right there. Sin's an extremely great sin. And when Pilate washes himself of it or says he can't find anything uh, wrong with this, this man, uh, then they, they pull the political card on him with, oh, then he, he, he claims to be king. So is not Caesar king? Don't you, you know, beloved Caesar? And so now he's... he's he, He's in a position where he has to move forward because of that particular statement and doesn't want to do it. And, and then if the statement is true, what Noel says, that uh, he converts and goes through martyrdom, that, that, that would be a really strong evidence that he, he was not doing this intentionally. Uh, it, it was because of his position. And, and, and I'm not trying to you know, give the guy a uh, free pass or anything. But it, it just it just speaks to his I think his heart in that sense that it was not obviously intentional because he tried to, you know at least twice to pass it off but uh, because of his position in the Roman uh, uh, power grid so to speak if if he didn't move forward then he was going to be taken out and he wasn't quite convicted at that point yet other than hey this is an innocent guy but what can I do so. That's my opinion. I wanted to... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, verse 16, it says, um, and there's a difference between the KJV and the Hebrew, where the Hebrew says, so Caesar's authority delivered Yeshua to them that could hang him up. And I was wondering if the reason it's worded like that is because of this prior verse where it left out this idea of the greater sin, that it was his authority that was... Um, that. Uh, that, that delivered him up. So when you say, who is Caesar's authority? Well, if God gave him the power, then God's his authority. So it was God that delivered him up. I was wondering if that was an idea that we're seeing here in the Hebrew that we don't see in the KJV. Well, it is, that, that's a great observation. And in fact, it, and, and I was just talking about this, it does say that he delivered Yeshua to them that they could hang him up. So that actually kind of answered my own question right there. Um, I had something else I wanted to say. I don't know if you wanted to uh, keep talking about that more. Or if anyone else had anything. I wanted to go really quickly back to to Bob's question about the, the, the cross. Pick up your cross and carry it. And I, I don't know if, if anyone else picked up on what Rob said in here about the very end. Because this blew my mind, guys. Where he talks about that you... That, Yeshua was put into a grave and that a stone was put over it. Like we saw with Elias. Like, did anyone else get, like, did that not blow anybody else's mind? Because if that is true, then every depiction we have is wrong. Like, he was yep. put into, he was put into the ground, not into a cave. Like, down, like, you know, we would call six feet under. I, 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 I you yeah, know, absolutely. It says cavern in Hebrew. It it's, does say, it does say cave. Yeah. Okay, it's, 
Grave. So it's no, 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 no. Uh, Ronit said cover, not grave. Okay. No, I said no. Wait a moment. I said kever, which is in Hebrew. It's grave. G R A V E. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, what the, so I'm bringing it up and going back to this crossbeam thing here that I could be totally wrong about this, but the way, see, I think we have it all wrong with this idea of like, we always picture the three crosses up on the hill and you'll see it like on the back of people's cars and stuff. They put the three crosses and people put in their ministry logo and all this kind of stuff is I, I really think that the three uh, people being crucified, the three criminals were on one stake, one tree, and this this gives a little bit of a complication to the whole Tav argument. I have no like if, if it is if he is on a whatever this wolf thing is that you know that he's on that um, that if it really is the Tav from Hebrew, great. But I I imagine that if if three criminals were strung up, hung up on on one crucifixion device kind of in a circular motion that you would have three cross beams on it and at that point it would make a very different looking letter i don't know if there is a hebrew letter that would would um make that but i'm i'm just you know i'm kind of complicating that i guess i i don't really see tav in this um but all that say you know when we talk i just wanted to clarify with bob when he, when he's talking about pick up your your cross it seems like all the gospels i read it talks about cross beam that he carried. Anyways, that being said, I'll pass it over to somebody else. I have um, quite a few things to share. Um, so let me start with just uh, something simple on verse 2, red purple. So in, um, in biblical Hebrew, the word purple doesn't exist. Um, what we have is red or Scarlet. Scarlet is Argaman, and it, that specific color was considered a very special color that only Tolat Ashani could produce. Um, and it was a sacred color, and it was used, um, you know, when they build the Mishkan and, and also the temple. So that's the word that is also used here in this chapter. They are using Argaman. I don't know why they chose to translate it to red purple rather than keep the, you know, it's very, very special, considered very sacred um, color um, in Hebrew Bible. Um, and then I have, um, I must say, every time I read this chapter, it really, like, I really, it breaks my heart and it really shakes me. Um, and this time when I read it in Hebrew, I'm, I'm quite shaken and I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm very shaken. Uh, I, I have a bump shell to share with you guys. I have no idea why you ever translated the Hebrew manuscript to English. I, I feel like there is an intentional mistranslation here. So there are five verses. Uh, verse 2, 23, 24, 32, and 34. And in those verses, uh, in English, you see soldiers right 
So, and the soldiers prepare the crown of thorn and, and so on. In Hebrew, it's not soldiers. It's actually the Pharisees. It specifically says parushim. Wow. And that makes... Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm shaking. I'm, I don't yeah. even know if you can hear it in my voice. So it yeah. says, and the, and the Pharisees prepared the crown of thorns and put it on the head of Yeshua and covered him with a red, with argaman, with scarlet garment and came unto him and said to him. And then, then the Pharisees, when they had hung, when, when they had hanged him up, took the garments and divided them in four parts for every Pharisee his part. But the garment which is called, here the word was um, the, um, not clear, so I don't know what is written there. Um, then it, verse 24, Therefore they said among themselves, Let us not tear it, but let us cast lot over it, whose it will be. Um, and then they divided the clothes among themselves. Those are the Pharisees. Therefore the Pharisees did these things. And then verse 32, so the Pharisees came and cut off the ties of those who were hanged with Yeshua. Verse 34, but one of the Pharisees took a lens in his hand and thrust Yeshua. Wow. That, uh, Sorry, I'm just so emotional yeah. over this. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, there's that deep dive I was talking about that, um, yeah. uh, that yeah. I had. That that kind of, and I don't want to interrupt you, but that makes so much sense now when we read yeah. that where it says yeah. that he that uh, so Caesar's authority delivered Yeshua to them that they could hang him up. They hang. They did everything, and it's very clear written in Hebrew. I don't know why they translated it into soldiers. This is intentional. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to share with you is when I read that uh, verse, when they tore the cloth apart, I'm going to, I'm just sharing a, a quote. You can see it in the chat. It's from First Kings. This is the only um, occasion that happened in the Hebrew Bible where um, you see a, a, a cloth being torn into several parts in that case it was um the cloth of king solomon torn into 12 parts because solomon sinned so much and god decided to tear the kingdom i'm sorry i don't even know i'm so emotional over this Well, this is an important part and yeah. important uh, revelation to 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 understand. Yeah. And now you now, so, now we can see what is really happening. Yeah. So, anyway, so uh, this really reminded me of it, and I thought, I wonder what it meant. What were they doing, cutting the garment into four pieces? There is a huge thing for us to uncover here. Because there is only one occasion in the Bible a garment of a king is being torn apart. And it was King Solomon into 12 parts. What did they mean by doing it? Why did they do it? It didn't make sense. 
Is that what? Um, is that the end of your commentary? Yes. Yeah. If that's a rhetorical, I don't know if that's a rhetorical question, but if, if it's a question, then uh, I would say it symbolizes the house of Israel being split up in 12 and being scattered, uh, a prophecy towards that, I would say. Yes, but why four parts? What, what, there is a significant thing here, why they tore it into four parts. And I think it could give us, if we have, um, the insight to understand it, it will give us a lot of more um, understanding also about, I, I'm feeling it about prophecies and about, uh, about messianic prophecies, that number four, uh, that, yeah. uh, you know, we need to understand it. Yeah, and I, I agree with Michael mentioning four corners, like the four corners of the earth being split up and, and moved out too. That's another good possibility. Well, that was that was so uh, that was such a bombshell. I I feel like saying, "Well, good night, folks." <laughs> I like I don't know even where to go after this, but that was um, unbelievable. Um, and that 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 revelation. I mean, it just makes so much sense. Like it felt like when you were describing that, like everything just. I I saw the whole picture. I saw it unfolding, yes. and it, it made so much sense. Yeah, I just wanted to say my question earlier, after your comment, Ron, it, it makes a lot more sense what it's actually saying now. And I wanted yeah. to add a couple of um, verses from Leviticus about tearing garments. So one is, um, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. So that's one where a person has to wear torn clothes. And then in Leviticus 21, it says, the priest who is chief among his brothers on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garment, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. So these two um, commandments are like opposites of each other, about hanging, hair hanging low and tearing clothes. And Ronita, it's a great point you brought up. The, there's a reason behind it. It really doesn't make sense. Why would soldiers do it? Like Exactly. What, it never what, made sense to me. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah, and it makes it, it all makes sense why he wasn't uh, tried more and you know put in prison and crucified you know later and all the it just it all makes sense now and um, I thank you for bringing that to our attention and uh, I don't think Rob, Michael, mm -hmm. or I were ever expecting that to happen tonight, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I that's that was really good. I'm gonna I we can you know talk on and on and on it is going on 9 30 and i this was such a big point that if we need to discuss this more we should but i would like to move on to revelation soon i don't know how rob and mike are feeling did anybody else have anything they wanted to add i had a few questions but after that it's like they can wait <laughs> well just real quick i was just gonna um the way it seems to read for me is that his garments, they were able to basically kind of split it up amongst the four of them. He had maybe four different pieces. And then they came to his inner garment or what would be considered probably his priestly robe, like was mentioned. Your priestly robe is never to be torn. And so it says, you know, when they got to that garment, there it had no seams. 
So they cast lots for it. They knew it was a priestly garment in a sense. So I don't know if the other portions did have seams and they did literally tear them apart or they just found a way to split it. You know, he had a, you know, four different things he had. I don't, I don't know. It was just the way I was, I've um, come to read it, but it's definitely worth looking at deeper. But yeah, good, good insight for sure.